Hey, this is Pastor Jesse of City Lights Church, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We hope that it inspires you and confirms the fact that the kingdom of God is a present reality in our lives that you get to live out. You get to be God's ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. That's exciting news. We also hope that our messages challenge your identity to help you understand who you really are in Christ. I hope that you're blessed by this message today. Good morning, everybody. All right, there we go. Um, it's it's almost spring. Like it's it's teasing us a little bit, isn't it? So like, let's let's smile. Let's let's celebrate. Um, I, I got a talk to somebody yesterday, and they said, "Hey, uh, I just moved here. I guess it does shine in Scranton sometimes." Uh, I'm like, "Yes, it does. The sun does come out once in a while, and so we enjoy it when we have it." Uh, how many of you guys were here last week when Daniel Newton and his team were here? I'm just curious. A, a good a good bit of us, and thankfully we had uh, the, Daniel's team um, from California, uh, actually from all over the world, but they live in California now, come and join us. And we had the Rock Church, and we had um, Connect Church come out, and it was just an awesome time. Um, the amount of buzz and the amount of like excitement that came out of that night. How many of you guys could say like the Lord was doing something awesome that night, and it was a unique experience for I mean, I just heard a ton of stories, and over the next few weeks, we'll probably have a few of you guys share your testimony of, of what God shared to you um, that night, or what you felt like the Lord was doing, and uh, we just want to be a church that goes after His Word deeply and His presence deeply. Like, we, we love His Spirit. His Spirit is here to empower us, to encourage us, to shape us, to mold us, so we want to be a church led by His Word, led by His Spirit, and that's what we're going after. So we'll have some testimonies from that, but um, if you missed it... Um, I'm sad that you missed it. It was, it was a, an awesome night. We are starting a new series. Um, just the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, the final week of Christ um, before the crucifixion. Um, a lot of churches all over the globe are focusing in on this season called Lent, um, looking at the anticipation of the cross and, and how our whole world, history, has been shaped by the cross and by the resurrection. Amen? Like everything we believe is is because of that. You guys agree with that, correct? Okay, just making sure I'm in the right church today. Um, you can participate with me, it'd be good. But a lot of churches are looking at going into this season, and, and Ben and I just really felt like um, we only have a few weeks that Ben and I get to preach, and then Matt Smith, a, a good friend of mine, will be here on Palm Sunday, and then the following week will be Easter. And we just wanted to look at a few themes that we saw in the final week of Christ, um, some events that took place in his life, and what, what can we glean from that as we look toward the cross, right? As we look toward the resurrection, as we look toward Easter, how can we look in that final week and see where did Jesus put his emphasis in those last seven days? Does it make sense? So that's what we're looking at this morning. And, and I want to encourage you to just kind of dig in with this. And I, I hope that you see yourself in some of these stories. I hope that you can see uh, the invitation that God, that Christ is inviting us to be a part of. He's inviting us into something. He's setting a scene for us in his final days. Um, before I get into the text, though, um, a few years back, well, a few years back, Ashley and I, for our first anniversary, um, before we had kids, we decided to do a big trip to Europe. Um, we knew kids were on the horizon, and we knew that we would not be able to do a big trip to Europe once we had little ones, and that is proven true. Um, we just cannot afford to take our girls to Europe. Um, we couldn't really afford to go to Europe then either, but we risked it and we went for it. And uh, we spent 17 days, we were in 
in England, and then we took a, a cruise that went through the Mediterranean and up Italy. And when we were in Italy, um, we got to visit a lot of different churches and stuff. And, and I want to show you just a couple pictures um, from our trip. So I look a lot younger and cooler then. Um, and uh, so I want to show you a couple pictures. I want to tell you a little bit of the story. Um, first picture. There's Ashley and I. I mean, look how much hair I had then. Like, it was curly. Like, I don't know what's happening now with my hair. Um, there's, a, there's a lot less wrinkles in my head. Um, but right behind me, anybody know what that is? Like, the Leaning Tower of Pisa, right? So we, we got to go to Pisa in, in Italy. Um, and what most people don't realize, like, that's, that's kind of every Italian restaurant you go to. You, you see it on your little piece of paper, placemat, whatever, a little drawing of the Pisa. You see it on the walls and the, the cheesy artwork that's done, you know, by some local guy painting the Italian restaurant, the mom-and-pop Italian restaurant to look like you're in Italy. You guys know what I'm talking about. You've been to that restaurant, right? Um, and so it was cool to get to see it, and everybody's there doing that pose where they're pretending to hold it up, and I was not doing that. I'm like, no way am I going to be one of those guys. Ashley really, really wanted to. I think she did, but I, I, I was too, too cool for that. I mean, look how cool I was back then. I had those aviators on. So I, I did stand there like, yeah, this is, this is the Tower of Pisa. Anyway, um, but what you don't realize is like the Tower of Pisa is actually a, really a religious uh, tower. It's Catholic. It's, what you have is this massive church and then you have this tall, circular building, uh, a baptismal building. Um, and then you have the Tower of Pisa. And I forget all the details of why Pisa is what it is. But go to the next picture, which is a picture of the church there. Um, so it's this massive church, and you can see the tower behind it off on the other side there. It's just really beautiful. Um, and we, when we were in Italy, we wanted to visit all these historical churches, all these historical places. And it was also really, really hot. It's August. Um, in Italy, and it was like 95, like every day, all day, um, which for me is really, really hot. And it wasn't like the cool 95 with a nice Mediterranean breeze blowing. It was like I'm sweating just thinking about going outside, kind of hot. You know what I'm talking about? And so when you when you're American and you're like, hey, it's hot outside. We dress like Americans who are going outside, right? Shorts and a t-shirt. And what we found is like. When you would go into a religious building in a lot of Italy, these older churches, you could not come in with sleeveless shirts or tank tops. You had to have, like, some of the women had to wear dresses, but you had to have your arms covered, all right? And so I was wearing a t-shirt that went, thankfully, to my elbows, but Ashley was not. So in order for her to go into this house of worship, for her to go into the church to look at it, she had to wear, um, go to the next picture. That's what they gave her. Um... A tablecloth with a hole in, basically. Um, and so once she put that in, on, we were able to walk in and to take pictures and to spend some time in prayer and to worship there a little bit and just enjoy it. But we found that throughout Italy, she had to do the same thing. Multiple churches. I'm like, Ash, we're going to a church tomorrow. Find your one long sleeve shirt that we brought along on this trip to Italy in summertime. Um, but it was just something that we had to do. And, and I can remember as a kid, though, growing up in the church, I grew up in a, really a Pentecostal holiness environment. So, like, everything possible was sin, right? But there was a lot of rules to getting into church. Um, just, can anybody, anybody else know what I'm talking about? Like, like, we wore the best clothes we had in our closet, suit and tie only for pastors. Like, this would be heresy for me to wear jeans, um, 
on the stage at all. How many of you guys, just give me another rule from church growing up. Like, no shorts. What was, what, be quiet. Actually, it's in our office. When we bought this building, there was a sign right in front of the front door that says about staying silent before the Lord in here. Enter in. This is a silent place of meditation and prayer. We took that down and put it in my office, mainly to keep Ben quiet. And I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. But like, there's rules. I remember no hats. Like, until this day, I still don't wear a hat in church. Like, it's like as if I put on a baseball cap, the Lord is going to consume me in all of his wrath because I walked into the church with a hat on. Like, there's these rules that I grew up in, right? And, and the, this expectation for what the, the house of God should look like. There's restrictions of what you can't do and what you can do, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. You grew up with that mindset. Um, I mean, some of the, the most best-dressed pictures I have is from when I was like seven years old going to church. I had a nice little... My first day of school, this is true, first day of school, Christian school, I had black dress pants, black shoes, a black tie, a white t-shirt, suspenders, and a big monster Bible. My first day of school, right? I look like an old school revivalist just going into a camp meeting ready to bring the glory cloud. It was intense, right? And I was set six years old. So anyway, I'll bring that picture next time. I still appreciate modesty. Don't mishear me there. Like, I, I do believe like there's something awesome about coming together and being modest. When, and, and I'm not saying be immodest. But I, I do think that we often look at the text and we misunderstand what God's saying about his place of worship. Um, let's go to Mark chapter 11. We're actually going to start in verse 12 because I would say that these verses are connected deeply and, and to kind of understand what Jesus is doing here in these passages, we need to see the larger story, the bigger picture. So before I read this passage, verse 12, right before this we see Jesus coming in. This is a week before, this is the beginning of the week, this is Sunday. He comes into Jerusalem, and the crowds have just heard and seen him do miracle after miracle, okay? And they're following him, they know who he is. And he comes into Jerusalem, and this is Palm Sunday, this is the day that they begin to say, Hosanna, right? They lay down palm branches before him. Here's the king, this is, this is him, right? They celebrate, they worship, and then after that, he goes back outside of the city gates to Bethany, which is right outside of town, and he stays there with family and friends. And so verse 12, on the following day, so this is Monday morning uh, of Holy Week, as we call it. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. Say it was not the season. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Then I don't know what your Bible looks like, but in mine it breaks it to another category, right? Like a little passage heading. Um, Jesus cleanses the temple. Is that what's next on your thing? So it goes from this cursing of the fig tree to another story. And, and I, I think that Mark is really strategic in helping them to understand that there's a bigger picture here. And you'll see it in a few minutes. They're connected together. But if we can just look at that for a second, this passage is one of the weirdest things in Scripture. Because Jesus is hungry, right? Jesus, who is God in the flesh, is hungry. 
That's a strange statement, isn't it? But he's hungry and he sees a fig tree with leaves but no fruit. And it says it's not in season for fruit. Okay? So this, it shouldn't have any fruit on it. And what is Jesus' response to the fig tree? He curses it. May no one ever eat from you again. And the disciples see this and then let's go into the Jerusalem now. Like, like this, is, this is your classic Snickers commercial, right? Like Jesus is super hangry right now. The disciples are scratching their head. He's angry at a tree that shouldn't give any fruit right now, and he's cursing it. Calm down, Jesus. They're, they're wondering what's happening. But Jesus, it always, Jesus was always using the physical in that moment to show something bigger, something happening spiritually, right? And so the next thing that Mark notices, that Mark records for us, starts in verse 15. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple, And he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him. Because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, he went out of the city. So he goes back over to Bethany. Jesus gets up in the morning. He's hungry. He sees this tree and he makes an example out of this tree. It's not bearing fruit. He curses it, right? He curses it. And then he goes into the temple. And this is the classic picture that we love to see. Jesus flipping tables and getting a cord. And all the Gospels record this story. But Mark adds a phrase here that the other ones don't pick up on. That the other ones just, they don't add this part. He says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. For all nations. I want you to, I want to show you where Jesus is at and give you some pictures here. I, 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 my laser pointer broke, so you're just going to have to follow my word instructions here. Um, this is a picture of the Herod's temple. So here's, here's where, do you see where it says Gentile courtyard, Will? Right there, and there's also one right above your head where it says that. Yeah, he's pointing to it with his shadow right now. Uh, I appreciate that. Way to, way to use your skills. Um, that's the Gentile courtyard. This is where the, the changing is taking place. So what's happening is Jesus comes into the temple area, and out In the Gentile courtyard is where they are selling pigeons and doves and other animals for sacrifice for worship. If you were Jew and you were coming to celebrate, to worship the Lord, to pray, you would bring a sacrifice. And it wouldn't make any sense for you to get a sacrifice in your hometown and try to bring that animal the whole way into Jerusalem on your journey because you would probably injure that animal at some point along the way. Um, So it was more, it made more sense to just buy it there. Make sense? So you would have something that was intact, a a pure sacrifice, a good sacrifice to bring before the Lord. And so they would set up the courtyard outside of the inner part for selling of these sacrificial things. Tracking with me here. But it's what what is it called, Will? What did I say it was called? The Gentiles courtyard. That's where they'd sell all this. And then if you look inside, what's what's that first big, the lower one? What's it say in the middle? That's the women's courtyard. The women's courtyard. Jewish women could go in there. Gentiles outside, women here, and then go up a little bit more. And what's, what's uh, this section in there? And once you get 
out of the women's courtyard in there, every Jewish man could go in there. And then you have the holy place where the priest would go and make sacrifice, right? So there was a, there was a procession. Go to the next slide so you can see this in a bigger context. You see, the, now point to the Gentiles' courtyard. This is the temple, right? It's bigger than what that last picture was. Yeah, that whole big outer space is Gentile courtyard, right? And then you would go into the women's courtyard. There you go. And then into where the Jewish men could go. And then the priests, right? It gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And what Jesus encounters is he goes to the place, the Gentile courtyard, and it's a market, right? It's a a chaos marketplace happening, have, have you ever gone to, worship, uh, to Walmart um, when it's busy and just like decided, you know what, this is a good place just to kneel before the Lord and just like, I'm going to play some, some K-Love and I'm just going to lay down here with my Bible and just like, just worship him. Like, you've never done that. Neither have, I've never done that either. Now, I'm not saying you can't worship God at Walmart. I think our lives are worship, Right. But there's something about coming to seek his, pre- his face, his presence, and, and where the Gentiles are allowed to go, it's chaos. See, what, what I want you to see here is that God is given the Jewish people a blessing called the temple. And the reason he's given them the blessing is so that his house would be a house for worship. It would be a beacon to all the earth to see his glory. Anytime God blesses you with something, whether it's his presence or whether it's a gifting, it's not for you, just like Daniel was talking about. It's so that his glory is shown to others around him. It's for his glory. So God has chosen to give the Jewish people a temple so that all nations would see, hey, this is what God is. This is what he looks like. This is his goodness. This is the glory. This is where he shows up for the world to see. It's a beacon, right? And instead of bringing people in with that beacon, they've set up a barrier on the outside so the Gentiles, who they were supposed to be inviting in, were barred off. Make sense? They couldn't even worship in their designated place to worship. So if you're a Gentile, go ahead and have fun with all the animals and all the the selling and all that chaos that's happening. You Jewish people, come on in here where it's quiet and peaceful and go ahead and worship the Lord. They've separated themselves, right? There's a wall that happened. See, God, God gave them an understanding that the temple was to be a blessing for them and to bless the world through them, but they misused it for other purposes. And God said to them before, if you misuse my blessing, I'll take it from you. In, Judge, in Jeremiah seven eleven, God says this to the prophet Jeremiah, has my house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I have seen it, he says. There is already a prophetic word if you don't use my house to bless others, if you use it for your own advantages, if your own political parties, for your own issues and wants and desires, I will take this thing from you. God has already challenged them from the beginning of the temple to know to treasure that space, to use it well. You guys get it? You guys track with me. See, the word here that we translate as robbers it actually had a very different connotation in Jesus' day. It wasn't like your average thief just trying to make money. The idea here was more of like a, a rebel, like somebody up for a rebellion, and a more of a political idea, a political nationalist agenda. Somebody who was plotting and ready to use violence 
to get their nationalist mentality approved. Israel, the leaders of God's house, were saying this is a place for us to build Israel. This is a place for us to keep ourselves pure, to keep others away. To, to, to not, it's not about worship anymore, it's about us. Make sense? It's not about God and his glory, it's about us and our glory. It's about us and our control. What, I mean, Jesus confronts the Pharisees and, and the religious leaders over and over and over again on this same issue. Like, you worship me, but your hearts aren't in it. Like, there's something else happening here. It's all about control. Jesus says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. It's the religious spirit and the political spirit. Watch out for that, disciples. Don't let that creep into your heart. And Jesus walks into the temple, and this is what he sees on full display. See, I grew up reading this passage thinking, because of this, God doesn't want me doing fundraisers at church for my mission trip, right? God doesn't want, to, want me selling Christian t-shirts, or I can't bring my kids' candy bars in the back of the church to sell, right? God wants me to dress in nice clothes, and he wants me to have, like, no fundraisers at all, right? That's just what God wants, no fundraisers. He, he doesn't like money. He doesn't like funds being raised. That's not the point of this at all. The, Jesus wasn't angry that they were selling things. He was angry at what they were doing, what was the reason behind their selling things, where they were selling things. Make sense? They were stopping worship from happening. They had a system where they were making this thing all about them. The temple was no longer a place of attracting worship for Gentiles. It was a clear rejection of them. Clear rejection of the world. So why then does Jesus stop selling animals here? What is he doing? So clearly this passage says that he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons, and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He, could go, he would not allow, this is funny, if you think about it, Jesus, the Son of God, right, going out through all the villages and all the towns doing miracles, and, and he comes into the temple and actually, if you look at the passage before, he was teaching there the night before. He was teaching there, and they were astonished at his teaching. And he comes back in the next day and flipping tables, right? And it says that he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. So, like, Jesus is blocking the gate, basically. Don't bring that in here. Don't bring that in here. You can't come in here. Like, keep that stuff out, right? What is he doing? Is he mad that they're selling things for sacrifice? No, the temple was all about sacrifice. The temple was all about worship before the Lord. Jesus is not mad at them trying to sacrifice. He was mad at what they had turned the place of worship in. And it was a passage of judgment. God says, if you don't steward this thing, I'm going to take it from you. And Jesus, by stopping them from getting sacrificial animals, was stopping their form of worship in that place. He was basically making the temple void for that day. Makes sense. And what, what happens? He begins to teach them. And the priests and, she, and, the, and the scribes were ticked. They wanted to destroy him. For they feared him because all the crowds were astonished at his teaching. He was using this to teach them about his kingdom. He was teaching them something, and their minds are being blown. And it's only the religious, those who are exercising in political and religious control, trying to keep others out and make this about their power, are ticked because he's changing the lives of those who hear him. They want to destroy him. And evening comes and he goes out of the city. So, so why did Jesus stop selling it? He, he stopped it because he wanted to end that system. 
By stopping the cell, he was stopping the sacrifice. He was taking away the reason for that existence. And I would even say that he is foreshadowing what he's about to do at the end of the week. He's foreshadowing something. And in fact, in a, few ch- a few pages later, he says that the, te- the temple will be destroyed, doesn't he? And they're confused by this, right? Jesus is foreshadowing. In the last chapter, Jesus says this. He's like, I came, the Son of Man came so that he can give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying, hey, your old broken system, which you've hijacked the reason for, I'm ending that and I'm doing a new system. A new day has come. A new temple has come, right? A new sacrifice has come. He has come to end that brokenness, that that self-centered, politicizing, corrupt, building my own kingdom to, to build his kingdom and to bring all the earth to a glory and a knowledge of him. He's doing something different. They wanted to destroy him. The political spirit, the religious spirit, will always try to control how people can come to God and who can come to God. They will always draw barriers in the sand that says you're not allowed in for this reason or that reason. I grew up in that church. Like if you came in on short, in shorts, in shorts, you were told to leave. You weren't presented the gospel or invited to worship and transform your heart. You were told to leave, right? Like that's what I grew up in. That's misusing the place of God's people. See, this passage, this section here is God presenting us with invitational worship. And as a church, as a body, as a house of worship, are we modeling invitational worship? Come in. We're not putting up barriers for you to to have to figure out the cross. We're not making you have awkward spaces where it's inconvenient for you to know God. We're, we're, We're getting rid of those walls and we're inviting people in. Come experience the beauty of God. You guys track with me. I, would, I want you to know that we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit, aren't we? We are now his dwelling place. This building, as lovely as it is, is not his dwelling place. We are his dwelling place. We are the temple. The church is not a building. It's us. It's us gathered together to celebrate his glory. It's us going out to display his glory, Right? That's the church. That's the temple. And my question is, are we building a club or are we displaying His presence? Is the church a club? Is the church something with high walls that people can't get into? Or are we saying, hey, we're inviting you to know God? Whatever your issues are, I don't care what, what, what background you're from or belief system you have right now, we're inviting you in to experience the truth of God and His goodness. We're celebrating, are we celebrating buildings or are we celebrating the builder? So my question then is, so it's, it's, it's easy, and I'm, I want to be really personal with you. I, I told you a little bit about my, my childhood and, and my background, but I would, I would venture to say that a lot of us know people with really high walls of who God can save and who he can't save and, and a lot of high judgments and a lot of like, blurring of the lines of what the church in America is supposed to be. And and we get really confused. And as a kid, I grew up with these high walls and and heavy judgment. And and I went to churches where 
when the Lord would begin to reveal grace to me, when the Lord would begin to reveal his invitation, my natural response to seeing these pharisaical mindsets in the body of Christ in the church is to be angry at them, right? To like be violent or hostile. And and we would often use the text of Jesus flipping tables and getting a, a whip and knocking down money to say, well, hey, we can be angry and violent toward the religious people today, right? But, but I want to keep reading further because I don't think that's the response that Jesus gives to his disciples. Let's go to verse 20. As they passed in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus said to them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever, has, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe you, that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whatever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. This is one story. This is, this is one lesson for the disciples to get. It's a, it's a fig tree sandwich with the temple right in the middle. However you got to remember it. It's, it's one thing that he wants them to get. They're astonished that he, the, the tree that he cursed withered away. And the truth is, that temple system has withered away, hasn't it? That Christ came and he ended that system of sacrifice. He ended that form of worship. And, and he has grafted in Jews and Gentiles, right? To his body. He has gone out and brought the Gentiles in to know him, to worship him. And the Spirit of God fell on Gentiles. I mean, I would assume most of us are Gentiles in this room. Like, God has brought, he's ended that old system. It's withered away. He's cursed it. He's ended that thing. And he's brought in a new day through the cross and through his resurrection and through the coming of the Holy Spirit. He's brought in a new temple, which is us. Those kids are excited right now. I would, I would see, I've read this passage separately from everything else. And I've taken this passage to be, hey, Jesse, whatever you want to pray for, it's yours. So like, that person's bugging me, mountain be moved, you know. <laughs> my, my kids <laughs> singing frozen songs at 6.30 in the morning, mountain be moved, <laughs> like, faith, right? We've taken that passage, and, and I was making silly examples of that, but like we've, we've done a lot of things with that passage, and I would suggest to you that the mountain Jesus is talking about from going over the hill of Bethany into Jerusalem is the temple mount, the religious spirit that he just cursed and ended. The fig tree was an example of something that wasn't giving fruit when God needed it to give fruit. Jesus was hungry and the thing didn't have fruit on it. The temple was supposed to give glory to him to bring all men in and it wasn't fruitful and he curses this thing and he ends it. And he says, so how do you disciples, when you encounter pharisaical, religious, political agendas, personal agendas, uh, greed agendas, when you encounter that in the body of Christ, how do you stop it? You pray with faith and you forgive. That's what he says here. 
And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father who is also who is in heaven may forgive you your sins. He reminds us to stay humble because it's so easy for us to become the Pharisee that we hate. It's so easy for us to become the political or personal agenda that we despise so often because we are people who will often bring our own agendas into the house of God, into the community of believers. And what we need to do is pray and forgive. Pray and forgive. Does this make sense this morning? There is an invitation for us to worship together and to keep bringing more worshipers in. There is an invitation that when we see brokenness in the community of faith, when we see brokenness in the body, we walk in truth, we call it out, we pray, we forgive, and we expect God to build his house. I love Matthew 16 when Jesus is at Caesarea Philippi, one of my favorite stories, and he's there at the very heart of pagan worship, and he says, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That is a promise from Jesus. And so as disciples, as followers of Christ, today you and I are invited to be invitational people, invitational worshipers. Worship team, would you come forward? We are invited to bring others into this thing. When we see those who are robbing the house of God and making it about something else. Can I, can I be really transparent for a minute at the sake of ticking some people off? I apologize if it's you. There have been too many churches who have turned Sunday morning into a political platform to tell you who to vote for and why to vote for and how to vote for them. We've turned it into a nationalist thing. We're, even, we're planning the day of prayer with a bunch of churches in this region. And Ben and I's concern is that instead of making it a day of prayer to God, we make it a day of prayer to America. Like, my allegiance is ultimately to him, to Christ. I am an American in my heart. I, I love America, right? Don't mishear me. But the house of worship isn't about a political agenda or a spiritual agenda or even a theological which side of the table are you on agenda. It's about, hey, let's bring all people together, be united, and go after the glory of God. That makes sense. Like, like, I've seen this abused in so many ways where the person on the pulpit is making a platform for gain. And, the, and if you ever see that in my heart, please call it out in me. If you see that in any of our leadership, if you see it in a brother or a sister, please, in love and in forgiveness and in mercy and gentleness, please call it out in us. I would say that the way these mountains move, I, let me be really honest, there is a huge mountain in our country that people see the church sitting at the top of. What that means is people see the church and they think sexual abuse in the church, political corruption in the church, Republican or Democrat. They think political party. They think hostility. They think Westboro Baptist. They think God hates everybody. Do these things and somehow you'll earn heaven. Does that make sense? And, and I, would, I would say let's, let's begin to pray that God would move that mountain so that the church will be known for what it's supposed to be known for, which is compassion, mercy, loving the least, speaking truth and love, walking in, in holiness and in honor and integrity and in repentance and in forgiveness. Does that make sense? 
I'm bold enough to say, let's begin to pray that this mountain moves. Let, let's, let's walk in forgiveness. Let's walk in gentleness. Let's walk in humility. Would you stand with me? This morning I asked you, are, are you walking in humility? Are you walking in honest worship? Are we a church that's invitational? Are we asking that all come and see the glory of a good and holy God? This passage reminds me that he has ended the old fruitless things, such as that fig tree, and he's brought true fruit. He is the vine. We are the branches. It's the new fruit. Though, and we only bear fruit when we abide in Him, right? Let's, not, let's make that our heart today. Let's worship Him together. He is an invitational Father calling all nations to come and see Him. Let's be that to, to the world. Let's be that temple that invites others in. Let's worship together. Amen.